Episode 157 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. You can get a free three-day trial of the Ground School app by visiting learnthefinerpoints.com. What's up, everyone? My name is Garrett. A lot of you probably know me as Fly with Garrett, I guess, um, in the aviation world. I'm currently a uh, regional airline captain on Ambrier 145 based here out of Charlotte. Aviation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's episode is a big episode with Fly with Garrett. Garrett has over 580,000 followers on Instagram. He's blowing up on TikTok. He's coming close to 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. He's killing it in the social media game. And he's definitely someone that I followed for a while. And it's really funny to find out that we both grew up so close to each other in Charlotte, North Carolina, but we had no idea who each other were. And then here we are. Uh, so much later in our careers and our lives and talking about aviation and just what we have in common and how we're both just trying to make it out here in the aviation and social media world. Uh, Garrett has some great things going on, uh, whether it was a flying with a wholly owned regional as a captain and hoping to get on with American one day, or it is with Flight Circle, with Flight Apparel, with his own personal brand. There's just a lot going on, a lot to unpack, and I'm really excited for him to come on and have a chance to share his story. If you do like this episode, if you do like the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. We're close to 620 reviews, I believe, right now. I'm really hoping to get to 700 here soon. So let's go push and get that. The more reviews, the more people that listen to the podcast. Also, like I said a million times, 2021 year of Patreon. I just posted my engine failure story. It's a video on Patreon. And the Fly With Garrett podcast is also available. Video format only for Patreon subscribers. So go to patreon.com slash pilot to pilot. Aviation, I want to keep you any longer. This is a great episode. We actually had to record this episode twice, as you will find out. Uh, the audio was just completely unusable. Uh, it was my fault. Uh, the software I was using just didn't work very well. So we had to redo the whole thing. So Garrett, shout out to you. You're the man. Uh, if you don't follow Garrett, go follow him. If you don't follow me on Instagram, pilot the pilot, follow me. 30,000 followers trying to get up to Garrett's level 580. So let's go. We got a long way to go. But Aviation, like I said, don't want to keep you any longer. So without any further ado, Here's Fly with Garrett. Garrett, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm looking forward to talking with you, man. Like we talked about in the first one, we'll start off. We got some Charlotte ties. We grew up probably a couple miles from each other, like we talked about in the last one, and it obviously had no idea who each other were. So it's wild that we can both be doing our own thing and kind of go different ways in aviation and still find our way to connect. And, uh, and it's just kind of cool to see uh, Charlotte doing well in the aviation world. Yeah, dude, that was a small world that somebody who watched my stream was like hey dude this this guy justin he's got an amazing podcast pilot pilot he's been trying to reach out to you and and as you know like i just get flooded with junk on instagram all the time so i never check my dms and then i went to dm you i was like oh my god i feel like such a jerk because i i never saw your dm and long story short we ended up like living literally basically a runway distance away from each other which is insane small world so so insane yeah you grew up uh, in the neighborhood with like all my best friends so i was always in that neighborhood when i was growing up which is just wild and and our dads know each other yeah even weirder dude (laughs) so weird it's crazy uh life comes full circle but yeah it's crazy man it's cool I want to get into to you in aviation. Obviously, you've done a lot. We have a lot to talk about. Um, I mean, 
you're just doing, like I said, so much uh, social media, uh, business-wise, flying-wise, and you've been successful at pretty much all of it. Um, but let's start at the beginning. Why aviation? Was it always aviation for you? Was it aviation or nothing? Or did you have some other kind of avenues you really wanted to go down and then aviation just kind of happened to, to be what, what stuck? Yeah. So as you know, um, you know, I'm a generational pilot, but I really had no interest in pursuing it. Aviation always like uh, attracted me something about it, but I never really thought that me flying airplanes was the route that I was going to go. Um, so, you know, my grandfather retired from Delta. My father's with American now over 36 years. My uncle, he flies corporate. So it's always been a part of my life somehow, but I never really wanted to pursue it as a career. It's not that I didn't want to, I just never really was like, yo, you should try this. So, um, you know, I went through, through high school and I didn't know what to do after high school. So I did what most people do. They go to college and they get the basic business degree, you know, and um, my freshman year at East Carolina University up in Greenville, North Carolina, I needed to get, you know, a job to, to do college stuff, you know, I like to have fun in college. So I got a job at the local airport, Pitt Greenville. I was working at, you know, the one and only FBO there, Dillon's Aviation, and I was a line boy fueling airplanes, washing them, waxing them, cleaning out the hangar, you know, dispatching the two or three students we would have a day. And uh, I was like, dude, this is kind of sick. Like airplanes are really cool, actually, because I never got to really engulf myself in the environment, like be there with general aviation. And uh, I called up my dad. I was like, hey, I kind of want to take a flight lesson, like a discovery flight. So sure enough, took off in 223 Delta Charlie at Diamond 20 out of Pitt Greenville. And dude, I was like immediately in love. And I ended up getting my private pilot's license my freshman year at East Carolina. And I knew I wanted to chase this as a, as a dream, as a career, as a passion. And uh, me and my dad did some digging, a lot of research. And we just figured, as we'll get into, seniority is everything. And I knew the quickest route to the airlines, which is what I wanted to do, was going to a place that allowed me to get a restricted ATP. So we stumbled across Riddle. Um, Riddle, of course, has its pros and cons, but... Um, uh, yeah, I transferred down there and ended up getting all my certificates, all my ratings, and you know, got my thousand hours restricted ATP, and here I am today. Why even? Why did you even want to get a job at the local airport? I mean, obviously, kids in college, they're going to go to Best Buy, they're going to go to whatever's on, on make smoothies, you know, just kind of do anything to make money. And you decided to go the airport route. Do you think it was just the the influence that your parents had? Like, not even that they knew that they had uh, your dad, your uncle, your grandpa. Uh, did you just kind of? that was kind of aviation and you knew that that was an option or was it just, did your dad say, Hey, why don't you go work at the airport and just see what it's all about? Yeah, no, it's, it's so weird that I ended up there. Like I don't have a direct path. I just literally went out to the airport one day and walked up to the FBO and was like, Hey, you know, here's my background, basically nothing in aviation, but like, you know, I'm hardworking, I'm driven. Is there something I can do to, you know, maybe work for you guys? And that's, I don't know what pointed me in the direction to that flight school, even to the airport. Obviously, Greenville, North Carolina, there's really not a lot going on, but I, I don't know. That's a great question. It just, I think because aviation has always been part of my life and I, I have always found airplanes fascinating, like truly fascinating, but I never was that two-year-old kid pointing up at the sky, you know, like all these you know, a lot of aviators are like, I immediately fell in love when I saw the first plane in the sky. I, 
you know, as a kid, I always pre nine 11, I used to go into the SIM center with my father. Uh, I could go up into the flight deck during flights and stuff like that. So it was always a part of me. I just never was like, my dad is who I want to be, you know? So I don't know. I just, I got pointed in the right direction, I guess, subconsciously to go out to the airport. What did you want to do before like anything aviation? Like what Garrett, high school Garrett, what was Garrett's dream? What was like the idea for your life? Man, I don't know. I was always a hustler. Always. You know, um, I would at 13, 14 years old, golf was a big part of my life. So not only was I, you know, fetching golf balls out of the woods, cleaning them up out of the pond, buying them on eBay, big bulk and trying to get scuffs out using, you know, like goo off and stuff like that and and try and resell them and make a couple bucks. But um, I would hustle you know, some old guys out on the golf course as like a 14 year old, I would take 20 bucks home that day and go play against them for nine holes. I was always mowing grass. Um, I just, I guess kind of that entrepreneur mindset kind of led me to the business degree, I guess, but obviously having a business degree is, is very versatile. So definitely. Uh, was it hard for you? I know that you, you flew, you got your private your mind was open to the aviation world, but was it hard for you to leave the current life that you had? You know, you, you probably had friends that you had at ECU. Uh, you're from North Carolina. You were comfortable in North Carolina. Was it hard for you to pick up and move to go chase this dream? That's aviation. Yeah, definitely. Especially at college because the friends you make in college are like lifelong friends, right? Especially your freshman year. You're just like thrown into this environment that you have to do your own laundry you have to cook for yourself you have you're all on your own now you don't have mom and dad to at least a lot of us are we're fortunate enough to have mom and dad to to do a lot of things for us and and i was and then you get thrown into this life so you're thrown in with other people who are experiencing this stuff for the first time so you really kind of lean on each other and and help each other so i made a lot of really good friends my freshman year but it was definitely tough but also, it was tough for me getting my private pilot's license at a school like ECU that had no aviation program. I was the only kid at Dillon's Aviation, only student from ECU that was working on ratings. So like the day I soloed, I go back and tell all my friends like, hey, I solo, like I flew an airplane by myself. Do you know how crazy that is? And people are just like, yeah, man, that's cool. That's sick. You know, even like my good friends, no one really understood what soloing meant and passing your private pilot check ride, what that really meant. And so it, although it was hard to leave a lot of those people behind that I still am in communication with, but it was so nice going to an aviation school where you could really engulf yourself with those experiences that you get to share with you, with each other, you know, passing check rides and studying for check rides and even the highs and lows of, you know, someone failing a check ride like myself and others and like working through it with each other and just, you know, trying to raise each other up. Absolutely. And you mentioned how you and your dad kind of brainstormed. Did your dad ever, when you were younger, did your dad ever be like, Hey, you know, flying is an option if you want to do this, or was he kind of hands off, find this out, find this on your own? No, not at all. He never pushed me to, that's why the day that I called him, A, he was really pumped that I got a job at a flight school, super pumped. But the day that I was like, hey, I, I kind of want to go and take a flight lesson, Discovery Flight, and see what it's about. He was, so, Justin, he was so freaking excited, dude. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, in, in fact, five minutes after I passed my private pilot check ride, my dad was there that day. 
And uh, he was my first passenger. We just fueled the airplane up and, and took right off. So although he never, ever pushed me, uh, he was the, the biggest supporter, the biggest fan of my aviation journey. That's cool, man. Those are memories that you never get or that you will, will never be able to recreate. That's like a once in a lifetime opportunity. That's pretty sweet. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, I, I can, I can see that though. My dad was very similar. He took the the route of not really pushing me. I was into sports. I played football, took it up to college. Uh, and I thought going pro was my life, but, um, he never once, I never once went up on a small plane when I was younger. I never really even knew similar to you that it was an option that I could be a pilot. I always thought that it wasn't smart enough. Cause like, I didn't care about school. I didn't want to do school. I just wanted to play sports. But as I kind of went on, similar to you, it was just pulled toward the aviation side and just happened. And I don't think I would be where I am today if my dad would have pushed me into this because I would have pushed back. I would not have fully accepted what I need to do to be successful in aviation if I was pushed into it. I don't know if you would be similar or if that was just a me thing. No doubt. Like, I thought I was going to be a professional golfer. Um, I I was really good at golf. and pre-golf, it was baseball, baseball all day, every day, every weekend, got burnt out, found golf. And I was obsessed with golf. And I I quickly became really good at golf because that's all I engulfed myself. And I just walked 18 holes, 27 holes every single day, all day. And uh, that's what we were going to go and pursue. But I burnt myself out of golf because I, every single weekend was traveling. I wasn't hanging out with my friends. I was traveling for golf tournaments. So it's really a blessing in the skies that I didn't find aviation until later on in my life. Because although I love golf still to this day, it's the biggest stress reliever there is for me. I don't, I think if I found aviation then, and it kept me away from like hanging out with my girlfriend or friends at the time, like. I think I would have burnt myself out. So I'm definitely happy with the path that I took. Yeah, for sure. I would, I would definitely agree. You you mentioned that you and your dad were full on finding the best route for you. What were your options other than uh, go to Embry-Riddle or stay at uh, ECU? Did you have many other options that you're considering or was it really just coming down to those two? So ECU definitely wasn't an option, although my instructor there was amazing at, and, uh, at Pitt Greenville. We just knew that busting your butt and getting those ratings and hours done as quick as possible was the answer to everything. So we looked at the Embry-Riddle. We looked at UND, of course. We looked at Auburn. We looked at ATP Flight School, just not even getting a degree in general. And I really wanted to still experience the college life, you know? And I just felt like, and I was super fortunate enough, although I saw the price tag of what Embry-Riddle really had, my father ended up splitting it with me. So I was super, super fortunate about that. And that was also kind of motivator for me to go to Embry-Riddle. You know, I was only, I was getting to split it with him and I was getting a bachelor's degree in aeronautical science. Of course, Florida was an appealing feature of that, you know, living down in Florida. I thought that was cool. So uh, yeah, after I visited the campus, I was like, oh, this is the place I want to go. Uh, obviously in those situations, you're kind of recruited to go there. They teach you or they show you all the good things. They show you all the good stories, everything they said to you when you were looking for a college, was that accurate? Do you think, or do you think they definitely portray it as a better lifestyle? And there's some growing pains when you actually show up to the school. So I feel like Embry-Riddle has changed a lot since I was there. Although I think I graduated what? 17 2017 or something so it hasn't been that long but the campus has been basically demolished and completely rebuilt so the 
the side of what you get whenever you come there, meaning the education and the flight school experience, I would 100% agree that Ember Riddle portrayed itself properly. But, you know, like living in the dorm, my first dorm was just old. It was crappy. Old dorms are, but when you're paying that price, you would think you would have like a nicer dorm and stuff like that. But honestly, like, I know I feel like such an Ember Riddle nerd saying this, but it really is made out to, to what it is. Like the, the connection you get with your professors, almost every professor has some tie to aviation and so many of them are retired airline pilots. So it's really cool to even professors that flew, like I, I knew professors that knew my father in the airline industry and stuff like that. So it's really cool to have those connections. It's an amazing networking school. And trust me, by all means, in fact, a lot of the time I push people away from Embry-Riddle, but by all means, I think it's one of the best networking places that you can come about. What was your training like there, especially comparing it to what your training was like part 61? Because obviously part 61, you show up, you kind of have fun, you do what you want, but you go to Embry, it's like, all right, you're doing this, this, and this, and you can't do anything else. Uh, no, you can't do that. You can't bring them, but you have to do this lesson. And if you mess up here, you have to redo this lesson. Uh, what was your experience like flying there? Yeah, they definitely take safety above and beyond. Sometimes it it really kind of hinders your training because uh, thankfully I didn't get my private at Riddle. And that's what I try and tell a lot of people. Not only will you save a bunch of money, but I feel like you get to experience like just real aviation a little bit more getting your private pilot's license outside of Embry-Riddle because they have such limitations when it comes to soloing and stuff like that. Like, 10 knots of wind, no more than 10 knots of wind. And if it gusts to 11 or, you know, no one's soloing that day, or even if it's not your first solo, you can't go and do your solo cross country or whatnot. So I definitely think that they have some rules that have been implemented that really hinder some sort of flight training, but the 141 experience or 61 is it's nice to be able to go through your 141 catalog and say, okay, Monday, we're doing this Wednesday, we're doing this. And Friday, we're doing this. And you know exactly what to study for and you know how to prepare. Verse 61, at least what I experienced in my very small flight school, is we show up and we're like, uh, let's go do turns around a point today or let's go do steep turn. You know, it's, it's kind of just, we figured out, all right, you got to do 40 hours. You got to do 10 solo. You got to do five cross country. All right, why don't we go do this and knock some of that out today? So I think the... I'm a very structured guy. I like to have a schedule and I like to check things off. So the 141 lifestyle worked with me, but Embry-Riddle has so many stage checks involved where it's like, all right, like, yo, I'm check ride ready. Why do I have to do two more in-house check rides, you know, before you guys can sign me off for the actual instrument rating check ride or whatnot? Well, you know, the bigger you get, the more rules they have to have to, because they have to generalize everything for so many people and standardize everything. But yeah. There are definitely growing pains when you make that switch from 61 to 141 and probably vice versa too. And it's good that there are two options because so many people learn different. Like someone going to a 141 school will freak out and be like, yo, slow down. Like, I do not want this at all. The structure is just pointless. Like, just let me go fly and learn on my own. And that's where you can just go to your local school. I've talked to people before that went to Embry-Riddle and didn't fly at Embry-Riddle because it was so expensive. They just went to a local flight school. So there's so many options that you can have. Yeah, no doubt. I know so many classmates that I had that were 
the nice thing about Florida is there are flight schools everywhere. I had so many friends that were getting their ratings down in New Smyrna Beach, which is just a few miles south of Daytona, the uh, Embry-Riddle campus. I had a lot of people up in Ormond, which is just a few miles north, out in Deland, which is a few miles west. Like There are so many satellite flight schools right there around Embry-Riddle that is definitely significantly cheaper. But I just, I guess, engulfed myself in the full experience. But like you said, it can definitely be overwhelming. And I feel like, especially in the instrument rating, when you're just like, dude, I want to fly, I want to fly, I want to fly. They have state-of-the-art simulators. They really do. It's phenomenal. But so much of your instrument rating, for instance, is in the simulator. You're like, dude, I just want to go fly. But the flip side to that are they can switch out flights for simulators. So if the weather is really bad, you know, you got a strict, pretty strict schedule down there. You know, you got class X amount of hours a day, and then you have your flight block, and then you might have a class on the backside of that. So if you have a flight scheduled at 3 p.m., well, we know how Florida weather can be pop-up thunderstorms all the time. All right, well, your your flight is now chalked, it's ruined. Well, let's go do this. Today, we're going to just do holds and we can go do that in the simulator and account. So that way you're still progressing. That's the nice thing about having the simulators. Yeah. What was your actual flying experience like there? Um, I guess just training in general, or was it kind of just like, well, my family's in aviation. I'm a natural at this. It's just passed down talent from person to person to person. Or was it kind of a grind? Was it, was it tough? Was it a struggle? It was definitely a grind. Um, I don't know if any... <sighs> It's tough to say that people can be natural pilots. I guess like having hand-eye coordination and stuff helps a little bit. But like once you develop your flows and and your techniques, I guess, your scans, you really just are kind of like a robot, I guess, at that point, you know? Um, But the only thing that I would say kind of sucks at flying at such a big flight school and at Daytona, which is one of, if not the busiest class Charlie airspaces there are, in the United States, um, because of all those satellite flight schools under that Charlie there in Daytona, is you could wait an hour before getting off the ground, you know, because they have flight blocks, you know, like 3 p.m. There might be 50 guys that are launching out to go fly. And, you know, you can have a 20, 30 plus airplane line. And you got student pilots out there, you got private pilots. So people are going around, people are rejecting, people are, you know, whatever it might be. So it can definitely be annoying. And especially when you're coming back into Daytona, you can have 15 plus mile finals, which is absurd. You know, when you're in a Cessna doing, you know, a hundred knots trying to shoot an ILS, a practice ILS approach. So that was one thing. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That was the one thing that whenever I did get my CFI down to New Smyrna Beach, whenever I was taking instructors out, I wouldn't, or taking students out, I wouldn't go to Daytona because it's such a waste. You can do three approaches in Deland by the time it'd take to do one approach in Daytona. So I've only been to Daytona one time and I will never forget it. Cause when I landed, it was the day Kobe died. And then I got the message that Kobe Bryant died. And it's like, any Daytona has like this huge, like blur above it. Like, don't go there anymore. Like bad things happen. When yeah. You know, that, so dude, bad association. Yeah. Bad association for me with Daytona. It's like, it's got a cool racetrack, but it's, not really looking forward to going there anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, New Smyrna Beach, where I did my CFI and I flight instructed. That was that's the coolest spot, like genuinely the coolest spot you can fly out of because the beach is right there, the inlet is right there. It's just absolutely gorgeous. The controllers are phenomenal. They've got tons of runways. That was just a wonderful spot to to yeah. be a CFI at. 
What was uh what was the hardest flying for you? Was it private instrument commercial, CFI? What was something that really just wasn't easy for you to uh or I guess you had to work the hardest at to to get past? Instrument, hands down. Failed my stage check. Um I couldn't get holds, dude. I couldn't get holds for the life of me. And then also it was the weirdest thing. One day I was in the sim and it just it just clicked on me. I did the pencil method. And one day I was like, oh my God, I've spent three weeks trying to figure out holds. And then it all makes sense now. Like I'm such an idiot looking back and not understanding it. But I would definitely say instrument rating, although it's the funnest, if that's a word, it is, it's the most fun, um, you know, shooting approaches and stuff like that. But holding was the most challenging thing for me, for sure. I would agree. Holding was hard for me. And that was the first time trying to figure out holds that I reached out to separate sources. So I went to YouTube. I was watching Jason Miller from the finer points. I was watching people on there just trying and hoping that I could get it. And one day, like you said, it just finally clicked. Uh, Everyone struggles with instrument in some way. It's never a breeze. So if you're going to have that moment where everything just comes together and it's going to be something different. So try not to get discouraged when you're you're struggling with something because everyone has struggled with something in instrument for sure. No doubt. Yeah. I 100% on par with you there. And some of the things that we would do at Riddle, like NDB holds in the SEM, stuff that doesn't make sense at all, or like doing DME arcs, although it's nice to understand and and grasp, you know, what the reasoning is behind it. But to this day in the airline, I've never done an NDB hold because they basically don't exist in the United States anymore. And I've never done a DME arc. And I've been flying here for over four years now. Never done a DME arc. Have you in the corporate world? Uh, so I've only done DME arcs in Mexico and it was only when I was flying the PC 12 for freight. So it was after flying like eight hours on a 14 hour duty day, plus some on some days. And my chief pilot said, you'll never do one. If you have to do one, just plug it in the GPS and I'll fly it for you. And my very first trip in a PC 12 was down to Mexico in crappy weather, flying a DME arc. Uh, I was definitely freaking out. I was like, uh, how does this work? Luckily the GPS worked fine. (laughs) I was going to say, but you didn't do a raw data, like twist no, and turn pin no, style. Yeah. See, that's the thing is like, that's what's super frustrating is especially people who struggle with things like DME arcs. You're like doing it in green needles and you're twisting 10 and turning 10. And it's like, it's so frustrating because you don't understand it yet. And you know, you're never going to do it, but it's just still something that's nice to have in your back pocket. Yeah, the the DME arcs, it's also really cool to talk and just see where aviation was, the technology and where it's going. Like, um, it's really cool to see my dad super fascinated with technology now these days. Like in our Bonanza, we have an A36 Bonanza that we're slowly modifying and upgrading. And we've got some really cool Garmin technology. And last month, we just put the new um, Garmin autopilot in. And he's blown away that we have a flight director in a general aviation aircraft. We have a flight mode enunciator. Like this autopilot, we have speed hold, we have VNAV. Uh, what was it? Two days ago, we went out and just shot approaches and did go arounds. That's all we did was just go arounds because we were so fascinated with how good the autopilot is and go arounds and stuff like that. So it's really cool to see where 
you know, shooting indie beholds to now we're doing, you know, VNAV arrivals and stuff like that. Oh my gosh. My grandpa would probably say I'm not a real pilot if I was ever telling what I was doing. It's like, what do you mean you just shoot GPSs and ILSs the whole time? It's like back in my day, we used Loran and we had to do this and this and this. And he would probably be like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like the old days of when the post office, when they were flying cargo around, they had those massive concrete arrows on the ground. Yes. That's insane. Have you ever seen those pictures all throughout the United States? Or they had, to spin, they had to spin out of the clouds to get below the clouds and hope that they broke out and recovered so they could land. Like, insane. It's, it's unbelievable, <laughs> dude. The, Real flying. How far aviation. And it's the worst when it's the absolute worst when people hate on technology. Oh, you've got all this technology in your, what if it all quits? First of all, has it ever quit? Has it ever quit all of it at once? No, especially with like the uh, Garmin 750, it's got its own battery. And then the G5s, they have their own battery. And then you got your iPad. And then if your iPad dies as well, you got your phone before flight. It's like you have all these backups, but yet people are out there like, oh, you got to have that paper sectional with you at all times and stuff like that. No, I'm just like, not a shot. You got to get, <laughs> you got to get with the times. And then it's right. like, oh, I hate doing localizer approaches. I, you know, they say they love doing them. And I'm like, dude, LPV approaches are so much better and more precise than a localizer approach. And so I, just got out of, I just got out of sim training and I had to do a single engine localizer. And I was just like, I don't ever want to do that ever again. Can I just get an LPV? Like, come Oh, on. dude, the, it's the worst. When we do recurrent training, sometimes they'll throw some random thing in there like a, a single engine, or a, you'll do a dual engine, non-precision, like a VOR approach. And then you'll lose an engine on the go around. And you're like, now you're doing a raw data go around to a VOR hold. And now you're single engine. It's just like, it's, it's fun to experience things like that. That's what I love about recurrent training is because they're not there to be like, to fail you. They're there to A, to knock some rust off the V1 cuts and stuff like that, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But it's, uh, it's cool. I love doing recurrent training. Oh yeah, for sure. Just got done. Uh, I'm glad it's over, but it was fun to go out there and do that. Yeah. They said when we did that scenario, they're like, yeah, all the RNAVs are them out. I was like, get me out of it. Give me a yeah. break. There's no way all the RNAVs are them out. <laughs> like, come yeah, on. So funny. But yeah, it's funny. Uh, going back to training, was there ever a moment, a lot of people kind of face this moment where things just look too tough. They look like you can't do it anymore. Was there ever a moment where you said, maybe I can't do this. I should do something else. I hate to say like, I'm not a quitter or whatnot, but I definitely, you get to that point of, I think it was CFI when you're making your CFI binder and the current pass rate was 53% for CFI in Florida. It's tough. I mean, it's one of the hardest rating. So many people failed their CFI. So many people that I know it's really tough and uh, making my CFI binder and going through page by page of your IAP and your, you know, aeronautical knowledge and your AIM, your FAR, trying to make notes about every single one and make lesson plans. You're like, dude, there's still so much stuff I don't know. And that, that was a very overwhelming point in my aviation journey where I was like, oh my God, dude, is this for me? Like, am I too stupid to get into aviation (laughs) because I don't know all this, but, uh, fast forward to getting my CFI. A, I think it's one of the one of the best ways to build your flight time because you learn so much, not a, not just about yourself, but 
how you can teach others. And you learn so much from your first two students. You should really be paying your first two students because they'll ask you questions that you have no idea. And you got to go look up. And that's all knowledge that you're retaining and you're learning to better yourself and to better your next students and whatnot. So I think CFI is phenomenal because you can't teach it unless you really grasp it and understand the knowledge yourself. When did you actually feel like you were a good CFI? Because uh, obviously, like you said, at first, you're kind of just like, throw it into the fire. Here's some students. You have your new certificate. Good luck. Teach it. And you have to figure out how to teach it to these first two students, first few students. When did you actually feel like you had a handle on it? Or did you never really feel like you had a handle on it and you were just kind of hoping for the best? Yeah, I, I would say after my third student, because I don't know if I got lucky or whatnot, but the first three students passed their check rides. I don't remember. I think it was private, private instrument. And because uh, I got my, my double eye right afterwards. And then when I went three for three, I was like, okay, I think I know what I'm doing. But it's still, it's even once you get your CFI and just teaching the student, your first few students is overwhelming, but making sure they have all their uh, you know, their IACRA set up, they have all their endorsements, especially what's nerve wracking is the first solo ever. You're like, okay, do I feel comfortable enough for this person to put their own life in their own hands, you know, in an airplane? Have I trained them well enough for them to go solo by themselves? And have I given them all the right endorsements to not only cover their butt, but my butt? So I think soloing your first student is definitely the most nerve wracking thing. I, I can't even imagine. I, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I'd ever be able to sign off. I'd be like, Hey, go fly with this instructor and that instructor and that instructor. And they'll tell you if you're good to solo. Cause I don't know. <laughs> I will tell you, I had one student who didn't end up making it through flight school. We had a very diverse flight school, very international flight school. And, uh, I don't remember what country this guy was from, but he was probably 21, 22. We were about the same age at the time. And Seemed like a pretty knowledgeable student, pretty intelligent. Solo, solo went fine. I had him from day one. Solo cross country time. We, you know, they fill out their nav log and we go do that exact solo cross country, but together to practice it. The next day he goes to solo. Uh, New Smyrna Beach is just south of Daytona under the class Charlie shelf. I want to say the shelf starts at 1200. You have to, we had to go out west. He was going to St. Augustine. So he went out west towards Deland, what he was supposed to do. And that's what his nav log said that day. So I signed off everything. He took off and went direct right over Daytona's airport. <laughs> Didn't talk to a single soul. It's my day off. I, I, you know, I came there, signed him off. Good to go. I left because there, you don't need to sit around for a solo cross country. I get a call. Hey, Garrett, the FAA just called and uh, we need you to come back down here. Long story short, the student, I mean, he was just, he ended up being just a pathological liar. No, I didn't do that. I went out to Delant. Dude, we have you up on the ATC That's like, track. We saw you go right over yeah. Daytona. So. Come on, bro. You can't lie. <laughs> yeah. But that that was like that that was the first time I was like, okay, you really got to make sure these students know exactly what they're doing. So thankfully it didn't come back down on me. And yeah, the student ended up getting kicked out of flight school. So. And you, I can't imagine being off. You know, you're like, finally, I'm off. My student's fine. Which you're probably freaking out that he's soloing by himself. And you're kind of like thinking that. But And then you get the call, no CFI ever wants. But like, hey, man, the, the FAA would like to talk to you about your student. <laughs> it's like, he's currently flying. It was, it was the worst, man. I Yeah, I get called. I was just putting my kayak in the water, actually. Oh, I remember no. it perfectly. I was like, oh, this is such a beautiful day. My one, I never took days off flight instructing, too, because it was all about getting my flight time. Finally took a day off because all I had was this this one student soloing. 
And uh, yeah, got a call, had to put my uniform on, go down, chief pilots there, the FAA on the phone. It was, yeah, it was a nightmare. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad I wasn't a CFI just for that reason alone. But like you said, I wish I did have my CFI because it's so useful. Uh, Being able to teach your kids one day, being able to teach your wife, being able to teach your partner, whatever it might be. It's just, it's such a great, sorry, my dog's doing that again, but it's such a great skill to have. Uh, So that's definitely something I recommend. People come at me and they see my story and how I went aerial survey freight and they tell me they want to do the same thing. And I'm like, dude, that's not for everyone. Like that lifestyle still kind of sucked. Like there's a lot to it. Be a CFI. That's the easiest way to build your time, the best way to build your time. And then once you're a CFI, then you can kind of venture out and go somewhere else. Yeah, I agree. Question for you. Did you do aerial surveillance first to build your flight time before freight? Yeah. So so I was, I was commercial and I did aerial survey. And then once I got to like 1200 hours, I did freight. So I assume a hundred percent of your aerial surveillance time was VFR, right? Yeah. All of it. Whenever you got into freight and now you're shooting approaches and stuff like that, did you feel like your instrument proficiency struggled there because you flew VFR for so long? For a little bit. I did the SIC program that they had going on there. So I was able to kind of like get more, I wasn't able to fly, which kind of sucked, but I was able to see it and kind of understand it a little bit more, but it was definitely kind of like being thrown to the fire and just being like, all right, cool. You're in a caravan in icing, which is one of the worst planes to be in icing and go shoot this approach when you have a 3000 pound skid in the back and hope that the straps don't pop off. So it's like, yeah, it was definitely yeah. uh, a hold on to the, to the train and, and hope for the best at first. No doubt. And I think that cargo, the, the freight flying, and that's what I tell everyone. I always say, if you don't, my personal opinion, I put CFI number one. And then I say, go do cargo. If, if CFI is not your thing, go do cargo. Try and get on flying a caravan because you're going to get some real flying, like real flying in icing, IMC down to minimums, you know, misapproaches, filling out CLRs, cargo loading reports, and, you know, filing your own flight plan. That's a real world stuff. You know, definitely help you once you get to the airline world, if that's the route that you're wanting to go. So oh my gosh, I definitely, that's yeah. good flying. It's good, it, stuff. it's good flying, but you better hope you, uh, <laughs> you survive because there's some really shady operators out there. And it's kind of just like, you learn a lot about flying. That's all I'll say. It, it's very interesting time to, to build your time. And as you know, building your time, time is the most important thing in the world. So a lot of times you might be looking past some things that you probably should look a little bit more into, or maybe you know that this great opportunity of flying this caravan or this PC-12, and this isn't my experience, but I've heard about stuff like this, and you overlook maybe shady maintenance or you overlook all this other stuff just because you're like, dude, I'm flying a PC-12, I'm going to build my time, I'll be out. Nothing bad will happen to me. And then bad stuff can happen. No doubt. 100%. Yeah. You definitely got to be very picky. Don't chase just the flight time. Safety is the utmost importance and make sure that you're going to a program, do your research, an environment where maintenance doesn't get skipped out on because some of those, those really shady operations, they'll skip out on a lot of really important maintenance. Yes, they will. And you, yeah, it's, it's not good. Uh, I've heard a lot of horror stories and it's kind of hard to tell because they put on such a good face and they can sell you on this dream and this goal. And they can tell you that no one, nothing bad has ever happened, but it only takes one bad thing to happen. And it only takes one person for that to happen to, you know? So you just don't want to be in that situation. No doubt. No doubt. It's definitely nice to, when you're doing your research, look on places like airline pilot central form and you know, get some maybe inside of what, not that, you know, advertisement front that they put on, but 
maybe some real world pilots that got to experience it that had some, you know, unfortunate incidents with those operations that you can talk to. Let's talk about you building time. Uh, I remember in the first podcast we did, <laughs> you bought your own plane, right? You were like, man, we're going all out, like flight time, flight time, flight time, flight time. Uh, and you're able to buy your own plane. That's right. Correct. That is correct. Yep. That's awesome. What, uh, what plane did you guys buy? What was the thought process behind it? Did you do kind of like CFI in it as well? Or was it just for you to build time outside of CFI? Just for me to build time outside of CFI. Although I think when I first got hired as a CFI, I didn't have as much, as many students as I really wanted. So talked to my dad, ended up buying a Cessna 150, an expensive one is about $26,000. And we want safety is all my dad is like, a nerd when it comes to looking through every single page of a log book and making sure everything has been done absolutely perfect. It was a very low time 150. I don't remember the year, but um, yeah, we ended up buying a 150. So me and my buddy, one of my really good friends to this day is also a captain of the airline I'm at right now. We uh, would jump in that plane every single day after flight instructing. We also flight instructed at the same flight school. And we would go to New Smyrna Beach to Tampa for a little bit. We go down to Melbourne. We would just build time every single day. It was so much fun. You experienced so much real world stuff. Like I had an electrical failure when I was going out to Cedar Key one day, and uh, yeah, you remember telling me this the story of the the first one had an electrical failure, but I had no idea. Old airplane, all round dial. Had no idea that the amps weren't charging while I was going out there. So alternator failure, which ended up burning our battery. Got down there, jumped out of the airplane, looked at the water. Wow, that's pretty. Jump back in, click, 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 dead battery. Called up my dad. He's like, long story short, you can sleep in the airplane and I'll come out to you probably you know, a day or two from now. Cedar Key, there's nothing around. Or you can be a man is what he said. And you can hand prop the airplane. I was like, I'm not hand propping the airplane. And uh, long story short, me and my buddy, we ended up, I tied the plane down, got him to stand on the brakes. And uh, watching YouTube videos on how to hand prop an airplane, hand propped it, flew it back to New Smyrna Beach, called them up on the phone. I let the class Delta know, hey, I'm going to have an electrical failure first going in, expect a phone call. I called them up. I was at a thousand feet and uh, they cleared me to land. I was good to go. But that was the story of itself. But yeah, getting, getting that plane was amazing. It was awesome to experience stuff like that. And to experience, you know, going into FBOs, we would take it an overnight in, uh, you know, wherever it might be for in Fort Lauderdale for the night, getting to experience stuff like that was a lot of fun. That was my favorite thing about going to aerial survey for me is I felt like I was actually being a pilot. Like I was on the road, I was getting hotels, figuring out crew cars, I was figuring out fuel, you know, when you're, when you're flight training, I'm not saying you're baby, but you kind of have this whole system that's already in place for you. There's not much for you to really figure out on your own. Uh, I mean, it's all kind of there for you to learn right there. And it's very protected when you're out on the road. It's all on you. It's like you said, you're alternated eyes. What do you do? You can't just call the flight school and have the plane go down and take the other one. It's like, that's the plane that's supposed to take you home. <laughs> what do you do? And uh, yeah, Figure it out. You hand prop it. You get creative. Uh, I mean, I would have loved to bit on the ramp watching you hand prop a 150. That would have been great content for Instagram. But <laughs> oh yeah, it, it was it was a lot of fun. And that's one of the things that before I bought the 150, when I didn't have as many students as I really wanted, I looked at maybe going the aerial surveillance route because I thought it was so cool. Like, dude, you're on the road all the time. You're getting to get hotels. Like, that's what an airline pilot does. And yeah, I ended up just picking up students more and more. And then we also got the 150. So that really helped as well. And it's, it's, it's funny, small world, 
but um, we ended up selling that 150 to Embry-Riddle. They reached out to us when we posted it on like uh, Trade-A-Plane or, or Controller. They reached out to us and were like, hey, we want to buy it. We ended up making a, a few bucks on it and it's, it's still on their ramp to this day. They use it for flight school. That's crazy. What a small world. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. It looks nothing like they use it for their flight team, like uh, precision landing and stuff. It's all glass now, fresh paint job, but it's pretty cool. Did you do flight team at all when you're an Embry? No, uh, dude, my hands were so full as it was, you know, uh, being a full-time student and doing that and, and then trying to have fun as well and, and still travel and, uh, you know, doing like flag football teams and stuff like that. So was what was, um, I find it interesting to find out what your goal is when you go into flight school and see if it changes over time. Cause for me, I wanted to be an airline pilot. Saw my dad be an airline pilot. I was like, that was my goal. But as I kept going the aerial survey route, fractional or not fractional route, the freight route, I found other companies and I really loved the GA side. Um, as you were going in, was your goal to be an airline pilot or was it just to find the best job you can possibly find and really enjoy your life? And did it change at all in this process of you becoming where you are now? Um, I, it never changed. It only changed once I got to the regionals a little bit, my mindset did, but yeah, from the get go, as soon as I got my private pilot's license, I knew I wanted to be an airline pilot. That's why I went the route of Embry-Riddle because they get you so ready for the airline world with CRM, with flows, with checklist usage. It's really tailored for, you know, the environment that the airlines portray and, Versus the corporate world, I do know some corporate, you know, fractional places where they don't have flows, they don't really do checklists per se, you know, and there's not procedures like there are at the airlines, but there are also some really great fractional uh, places and, and 135 operations that, that do implement that really safe CRM and checklist usage and whatnot. Yeah, for sure. A uh, little shout out to my company, which I won't name, but we're the only corporate fractional company that trains all 121 and has an AQP program. So they are very much an airline, but not an airline, if that makes sense. That's really cool that they have an AQP program like that. That's really beneficial and it really helps pilots get through and understand how important safety is and, and, and the SOPs are. Absolutely. They are all about SOPs, call outs, everything. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome to see. What, um, you mentioned how, well, I guess we'll start, we'll start with this. You are building your time. You want obviously regionals Were they popping off at that time. Were they the signing bonuses? Were they doing all that kind of stuff? Uh, or is it still the time where you weren't getting paid very well to be a regional pilot? Everything was unfolding every single day. It was the best time ever to be an airline pilot or getting into it. Like, it was like what AMC and GameStop were the other week, you know? I mean, it was just a rocket ship straight to the moon. And it every single day you would hear, oh, Republic just launched a $5,000 uh, new hire bonus. Oh, that's cool. PSA just launched an $8,000. Every single day they were trying to one-up each other because they regionals needed pilots ASAP. Then they start saying uh, $60,000 salary your first year, which for a lot of people that don't, you know, really understand what the regional pay was like before. There were some regional pilots that were getting that were on food stamps, you know, $20 so an hour or less. It was so bad. There were regionals that you would have to pay to go to training, get your own hotels, meals, transportation, all that stuff was all on you. Now it's like, 
or at least then, and then it'll get back into that, but it'll never go back to what it was before. Never. You won't see the 20, 30, even $40 an hour. I think at my regional, like first year pay is $50 and 50 cents an hour. And there's still signing bonuses. But by the time I got there, uh, I think it was about a $16,000 signing bonus that they were offering at the time. And then I ended up going, yeah, uh, I ended up going to a wholly owned of American Airlines, a regional carrier there. And yeah, I'm pretty, pretty happy. Pretty happy. What was your thought process? Was it important for the flow? Was it make as much money as you can? Uh, was it prestige? You know, uh, maybe one looked better than the other on a resume. What were you looking for in finding this regional job? Yeah. So um, getting to the left seat, American Airlines or just a definitely American Airlines, but getting to a main line was, a, you know, a legacy carrier was the the end goal. Hands out, no one, not many people want to work at a regional for the rest of their life. Some people love the lifestyle. For me, not so much. I don't want to do five flights a day. Um, I'd rather do uh, a turn down to, I think my dad went to St. Martin yesterday and back and you get paid nine hours for it. That's what I want to do. Or I, w- I want to go to Barcelona and spend 50 hours in Barcelona. But Finding the company that had zero reserve time, so I wasn't going to sit on reserve, finding a company where the second you hit your 1,000 hours of 121 in the right seat, you could upgrade to the left seat because I knew getting that PIC time was that ticket to get to a bigger carrier. So, And then having the flow-through program in the back pocket is so clutch, especially in times like this where now getting onto American, Delta, United, is so hard because not only are you having all these military guys and girls coming over with you know all these phenomenal resumes, but now you have people that were let go that have thousands of hours in the left seat of a, a you know a regional that that shut down because of this pandemic. So I think having that flow through program in your back pocket definitely pays dividends down the road. What's your feelings on the flow program right now specifically? Obviously, when you were hired, they're probably like, man, the flow's great. You're going to be an American Airlines pilot in two years, in three years. And then from what I heard at other wholly owns, it kind of like was pushed back a little bit. It went from three years to five years. Uh, and now, obviously, no one's really hiring. What's your thought process on flows? Are you still gung-ho on flows? Do you love the idea of a flow? Or is it kind of like, man, that was some, some bull crap? Or like, are you a little bit jaded, I should say? <clears throat> I, I guess whenever you are doing shopping, because at the time you could do shopping as a new CFI that just got my you know thousand hours, I could go to whatever regional I wanted to. And uh, basically, you come in for the interview, they ask you a few questions, check, make sure you have a pulse, and you're hired at that point because they needed they needed pilots so bad, but. Having, I, I guess when they initially preached three to five years, it was actually pretty accurate. It was definitely closer to five years and three years. But obviously, the flow through program is on pause right now because American Airlines is not hiring. So what, contractually, when they do start hiring again, the flow through automatically has to begin again. So although it's pushed back a little bit, nobody's jumping in front of you seniority wise right now. Let's say an American Airlines class has eighty percent. Um, or 70% military, 15% um, civilian, the other 15% is flow through. 
although it is bigger than 15% flow through, but they still, they're contractually obligated to fulfill that 15% from the three wholly owns, which is PSA, Piedmont and Envoy. So no matter what, whenever they have new hire classes, the flow through program is initiated again. So it is getting pushed back, but the nice thing is nobody's jumping in front of you in seniority right now. What is your, um, American Airlines is like the goal, right? You, American Airlines, uh, probably flying for your, with your dad, I'm guessing throwing his gear up would be kind of like your dream, right? That is my dream. That's what I want to do. Uh, it's a blessing in disguise that this pandemic happened, not really a blessing, but it, it's <laughs> nice because my father is no longer a 330 captain. He's yeah. now, uh, an air, uh, 320 captain. So once I do hopefully become an American Airlines pilot, I will easily be able to be his first officer. You know, he's 61 now, so he's got four years left. So I I would really think uh, in the next four years, I can definitely be his first officer. That is my ultimate dream. That's all I want to do is is swing my dad's gear. That's all I want to (laughs) do. We'll have to start a hashtag for you. (laughs) Yeah. Garrett, fly with his dad. (laughs) We'll make it work, man. Uh, No, that's cool. That's probably one of my, I wish that I had that opportunity. I wish that I could be an American to do that with with my dad too. I think that'd be really cool. Uh, But I mean, you can do other things too. It's not like the end of the world, but I I hope that works out for you because that'd be pretty cool, especially since your first flight with a passenger was with your dad. And it'd be cool maybe if you were on his last flight and his last flight with passengers was with you as his first officer. That'd kind of be everything full circle in your aviation world. I tell him, we got to make a movie. If I'm his last passenger, his last FO, it's got to be a movie. It has to. I mean, think think about the publicity for American on that. That would be so cool. I see so many, like I saw a really cool story of UPS, a father and son flying with each other in his last flight. I saw it over at, uh, I want to say United as well. So it's just a really like heartwarming, really cool, full circle generational story. I think Absolutely. It's really Who's going to play in the movie? Me, I'll yeah. play myself. Yeah. In the movie. I want to do you it. You can act. See. All right. I want to see if I if yeah. I've got it in me. Man. All right. Cool. I want to see the the audition tapes on that one. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy! You should see the 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 bloopers of some of my YouTube videos where yeah. I'm just standing there like like this in the mirror, <laughs> trying to think about what I'm trying to say. It's so stupid. Uh, well, this is a good transition now. Talking about YouTube, talking about social media. Did you ever envision a life where you would have such an influence, uh, so many followers? Like when you started Instagram, Twitter, MySpace, whatever it is, did you ever think you would be in the position you are right now? Uh, no, definitely not. I, <clears throat> I was very ambitious whenever I started out. Um, I want to. I started out in my CFI days, uh, just posting pictures because of the Gary V's out there and whatnot saying. I knew I always wanted to own my own business. I knew it. In fact, when I was in college, I started a um, a car dealership, which sounds weird. But yeah, I ended up getting my car dealership license and I would go to auctions and buy cars and clean them up and try and flip them. But that obviously didn't work out very well because I just, my hands were too too tied behind my back with flight school and, and, you know, getting my degree and whatnot. But I knew that I always wanted to have my own brand and Gary V back in the day, still to this day was a big influence on me. He used to always preach, build your personal brand. It'll pay dividends down the road. So that's what I did. I got an Instagram. I just started showing pictures of like, of, um, airplanes of the inside of, uh, Cessna 172, you know, that, that was, 
I was appealing to a lot of people or like across country down to the keys. Like I didn't see very many pilots on Instagram at the time. So I really took advantage of that. Then people started saying, Hey, who's behind the camera? I posted me a couple of times and then that really started growing, uh, you know, me and like my CFI uniform in front of an airplane or down in the keys with my student or whatnot. So that started growing, like getting traction. And I just, that's, it kind of just started a snowball effect uh, from there. The the algorithm at the time was unbelievable, gaining a thousand to 2000 plus followers a day. It was insane. And then I remember like, people started saying, oh, you can make money off this with collaborations. And that's where it really just kind of took a turn. It was fun. It's a lot of fun. How fast did you go from zero to 500? What is it like 500 and I don't know, 50, 580,000, whatever it is right now. How fast did it take for you to get there? Yeah, I think I just rolled her 580,000. It took, I would say the first 300,000 happened really fast. Um, really, really fast. I mean, there were some months where I was gaining 30,000 a month easily. And that was, that was crazy. And then the algorithm like last year is very demotivating on at least the Instagram side of things because the algorithm changes every couple months. And it's very frustrating because hashtags are trend one day and then the next they're not. In fact, they'll shadow ban you and stuff like that. So I definitely went through phases of like, 30 to 40,000 followers a month and then losing like a thousand followers a month. So it was very frustrating, but we're slowly starting to grow again. And I, and I huge shout out to TikTok because that's what really revamped. I mean, I, I started posting on TikTok maybe three, four weeks ago and the first video got over a million views and I had like no followers. I'm like, that's insane. Posted another one, 5 million views. And then that translate into Instagram followers, thousands a day. And then over to YouTube. So you really, if you are trying to get into social media, take advantage of all platforms and definitely branch out. And definitely uh, go after your TikToks and uh, try to make fun of them every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. I saw that. That was funny. That was good. And I, uh, the craziest thing is I saw Dirks Bentley. Dude, that was nuts. That was insane. I'm like, wait, did I see that right? Dirk Bentley just re because he has a song called Drunk on the Plane. Yeah. So he used part of mine that had like five million, five point six million views. And he stitched his drunk on the plane song that's with insane. it. I, I was like, no way, dude. And then he posted me on his Instagram and I was like, that's insane. I was wow. showing my wife, I was like, this dude has Dirk's Bentley took the time or told his team to edit this guy's video, mix it. I was like, this is insane. Absolutely insane. Uh, Dirk's obviously, and I think, you know, he's, he's a pilot, so it'd be awesome yeah, to, yeah. to have him on. And I'm sure you would love to, the ability to, to hang out with him. Like that is so cool to have Dirk's Bentley no do doubt. that. Yeah, um, that, was, that was pretty sweet. I want to touch on, you talked about a little bit, uh, gaining 40,000 followers, losing a thousand, uh, when you are in social media and you, I mean, even say in my case, when I, I mean, 30,000 followers is a lot to some people, obviously 580 is a ton, but when you start gaining a little bit of traction, when you start getting followers and you start getting some likes and you start getting some good comments, you know, it really does something to, to your mind. Not saying it makes you feel like you're, you're kind of superior to other people or better than other people, but you're definitely, your ego can be lifted a lot. How do you stay kind of grounded with this? 
Um, how do you maintain a positive attitude, especially since there sounds like there's such a fluctuation of, of crazy good times of getting lots of followers, which is a huge dopamine hit and then losing followers. Was it a kind of a mental struggle at all? Is it kind of like, what's going on? Why don't they like me now? That kind of thing. Or were you just kind of like, eh, I'm just doing this for fun. Like I'm very thankful to have all this. You hit the nail right there on the head when you said dopamine, that's what it is. It, it's, it really puts you in your place when you have those 40,000 follower months and then you lose followers the next month. It doesn't make sense. And you're not getting those dopamine hits. And it's, I used to get way more likes with half the followers that I have now than I do now. And that's something that you kind of, which doesn't make sense to a lot of people of why that matters, but it does when it starts affecting your, your wallet, you know, because that's engagement likes and stuff like that. That's how collaborations come about. And, uh, but I, I would say it's not everything everyone always like dreams about because there is a lot of, a lot of negativity that comes with amassing a following over, over half a million. It can affect your career immensely. Uh, if you put the wrong content out, if you jeopardize the safety of a flight, if you're posting flight deck pictures at an airline where it's forbidden, um, there are a lot of ways to really deteriorate your own career. And then you're stuck with just social media and everyone followed you because you're a pilot and now you're not an airline pilot. So now what? So you, you really have to draw that fine line and you have to be hard on yourself about it. And I would say the, the dopamine hits that you get from amassing such an audience and like snowballing and everything definitely it fluctuates just like the algorithm does. And it, it, it's a direct correlation between the algorithm and those dopamine hits that you get. So you just have to learn to find balance and you have to have those days where you don't even look at social media and you take a step back and be a human that, that although you have such an amazing platform and amazing audience that looks up to you in so many different ways that you need to take time to yourself. And that's what I just really want to preach to a lot of people that maybe see such a large following. They're like, dude, I want that. I want to be able to do the things that that guy does. Just know that you have to still have time for yourself, have time for your family and, and, and whatnot. Who keeps you humble? Like, uh, obviously, like you said, you can get a big ego with that. You can think people love you. People do all this. Uh, I can just imagine my high school friends or my college friends be like, how the, why are people following you? You know, it's like you have 500, like who's the person or who's the group or is there not even anyone? Is it just kind of like something you work on every single day to keep yourself humble? Especially at the beginning, posting selfies and like the flight deck and like you're in uniform. I heard it from everyone. Like, what are you doing this for? That's so stupid. It's never going to be anything. Like you're never going to monetize that. I'm like, just wait, just wait, just wait. That's all I ever say. And now I would say I definitely receive like hatred and stuff from people that I don't know. That's just part of having an audience. And, uh, but the close friends after they see like what kind of numbers that does on the front and the backside, they're like, wow, that really is like, it's life-changing a lot of it and and to be able to help others and that's which we'll talk about in a little bit flight circle that's what i that's my really end goal out of all this is to be able to develop a community that can work together and build off each other and network yeah for sure i got one more question about social before we kind of go into the flight circle and the apparel company have you ever been forced or have you ever been in a situation well i guess a better question is let's say you are in this american airlines interview they are coming up to you, they're like, Garrett, 
we want you to fly here. Um, we, we really want you here and we want you to fly with your dad and do all this. It'd be great publicity, but we just can't have you on social media. We can't have you doing this. One, have you been put in a situation where you kind of had to choose job over social media? Or two, would you, what would you choose? Would you choose American Airlines and give everything else up? Or would you try to find another route? This is an extremely tough question because of the amount of positive feedback and whether this sounds egotistical or not, the amount of lives I've really not only brought to aviation, but helped out of some dark place that they were in. Um, it's, it's really tough because with my platform, I can really affect and change lives, which sounds very weird. And it, I never really understood that until about a year ago where having an audience of half a million people, you really can change lives. But it, it's tough to throw all that away to just be an airline pilot and fulfill my selfishness of wanting to fly with my dad. But I wouldn't be where I am today if I wasn't an airline pilot. If I wasn't a pilot in general, I don't think that my social would have grown. In fact, I know it went up at the level that it did because I'm a pilot. So I would probably, yes, put it, throw it all away, but I don't know if I would feel comfortable working with a company that doesn't support what I do and the positive outlook that, that, my, that my platform really does, especially behind the scenes that a lot of people don't see. The DMs, the emails, the phone calls that I have with some people that are, are really trying to make life-changing decisions. Um, you know, A lot of people see the front of a selfie or something like that, or a new car or whatever it might be and saying, oh, this guy's egotistical. He only cares about himself, but they don't see the back end, which I don't care if people, if, you know, if people only see that front side of it, I just really want to work for a company that really likes that I want to represent and that wants to represent me. And, you know, we're all on the same page. Yeah. I mean, I think that's important. I think that's, that's legit. Like, I think that that should be something. I think that they should want you for who you are. Uh, they should accept all of what you have to offer. Uh, not everyone has the ability to offer that. And I think a lot of companies are afraid of their image, but at the end of the day, they still have to trust you with a lot of people in the back. So why can't they trust you with the image as well? You know, it's like you could do just as much harm to the image walking in the, the airport, being a jerk and telling people off as you can with your following on Instagram. So it's really not too much of a difference if you really look at it. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. I, I definitely want to be on the same page with a company. And I, and I think American portrays that. So that's why I think that'll be a really good final destination for me. Absolutely. Talk to me about kind of your brand. Um, obviously, you have Instagram, Fly With Garrett. What did you want to turn this into? Was it always a clothing brand? Was it always Flight Circle? Was it always these things that were coming up? Or has this all kind of evolved recently? So the the personal brand side of things, <clears throat> I knew one day you could monetize it. And... Um, I eventually started to get into collaboration. I was like, wow, like there's some serious money in here once you amass an audience. But besides doing collaborations that were near and dear to me, like I still work with the same companies from day one uh, that I do now to this day because it's products for the most part that I use uh, basically daily. And uh, um, so I, flight apparel came well before Flight Circle. And I've always been, I wear gym clothes basically every day. Fitness is a huge part of my life. Huge, huge, huge part of my life. 
I found fitness kind of my senior year at high school and it really helped me out mentally. And I, you know, just getting all that testosterone out and, and, and I really see good balance with getting a workout in first thing in the morning, especially with mental clarity throughout the day. If I get a workout in versus if I don't, my days are completely different. So fitness has always been a big part of my life. And I wanted to develop some sort of aviation fitness-ish content or uh, excuse me, apparel. And that's where flight apparel came about. I'm not sure how the name came about one day, but I was just like, FLYT sounds really cool. It has that aviation stick to it. And I kind of just ran with it. I found some really good manufacturers and it's been a growing process every single day from the, the front end to the back end, working on the website, working on customer service, to figuring out how to adjust inseams on clothes and uh, you know tailoring clothes and different threads and different material and different logos and designs and hiring graphic designers. And it's been the biggest experience ever. And it, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's so much fun to, to kind of dip my toes into the apparel brand. But it's really one day I would love for Flight Apparel to be its own entity and not have the fly with Garrett you know, pushing personal brand, pushing it. I would love for it to be its own luggage line and stuff like that, but we'll see. It takes a lot, a lot of money. And I, you know, it's been a year and a half since I started flight apparel. I've just kept reinvesting every single dollar. In fact, not only do I reinvest every dollar, but every month I'm dumping more and more money into it, just to better everything about it. And I'm just really thankful for all the um, supporters with flight apparel. I know that sounds very cliche, but I, I really am like, I wouldn't, I was really scared when I first launched it. I thought it was going to be a one-off. Like I get a, a bunch of orders. I thought it was going to be a hype launch. I get a bunch of orders and then there's no consistency on the back end. And I was very wrong about that. So super stoked that flight apparel is where it is today. And I'm just really excited to continue to grow the brand. And if there is anyone out there that has some sort of social media at all, definitely hit me up because I would love to send you guys some clothes. I want it to stay really in the aviation industry. I think that's really cool to see running into other pilots that have flight apparel clothes on is the coolest thing in the world. I remember I was out in Santa Monica a year ago, pre-pandemic, obviously. And I literally walked into somebody, shout out to you, Matthew, that was wearing flight apparel on the Santa Monica pier. Like, that's so crazy. I was on the other side of the country. So yeah, I think that that is really cool to see people rocking it. What's been harder for, for you, building a personal brand or building a clothing brand? Clothing brand, 1,000%. 1,000%. I, I think the personal brand kind of became a routine and I, and I quickly realized what it takes, the consistency. I posted almost every single day on Fly With Garrett Instagram for two years. Like all, I want to say there were a couple of days that I missed in those two years, literally one or two days. And I knew that consistency meant growth. And that's maybe not so much as it is today. Maybe for a brand new creator, it is consistency. But for, for me, I feel like if I flood my account, a lot of people are going to lose interest. So definitely growing the flight apparel brand, is, is it's been a struggle because you know there's so much not just on the apparel side, but you talk about LLCs and taxes and accounting and uh, and then marketing and it's crazy. It is crazy. It's funny how, I mean, I had to 
pilots, pilots and LLC now, all that kind of stuff. People are trying to take my name and do other stuff. So it's like, how do I like tell them to stop all that kind of like, there's so much more to doing something. And also it's really interesting to see how you starting an Instagram can grow and pivot to so many different things. And like you said, having a brand is so valuable and it's just, you can do so many things if you have this opportunity in front of you. And it's definitely good that you're maximizing on it and trying to make the best life for you. But I also love how you want to give back. You've said it a million times. You want to give back. You want to help people. That's kind of what's most important to you with your page. So it's not selfishly driven, which I think is really cool. And you have a new service coming out or no, just you just released it yesterday, right? From recording this? Yeah, just, was it yeah, yesterday? I just launched Flight Circle yesterday. Yep. Talk a little bit about Flight Circle. Talk about the idea, um, how, the process of having an idea and taking it to launch, uh, the difficulties, uh, how nervous you were yesterday. I'm guessing yesterday you were so terrified that no one would actually sign up. That would just be my worst nightmare. But go ahead and talk a little about Flight Circle, uh, the reason for it, and everything that you've been doing to put it together. Yeah, so I really love the brand that Flight Apparel has has become, and I I wanted to stick with that flight slogan. So I made Flight Circle. It's basically an aviation heavy community. Of course, there will be some, you know, personal side of things because not everyone is following me for aviation. Some people are following me for for fitness. Some people are following me for entrepreneurship. Some people are following me because they like my style, whatever it might be. That's kind of what Flight Circle has has become and developed into is, but it's really heavy on the aviation community side. So about six months ago, I started dreaming about this. I saw some other creators start like inner circles and subscription services, but they have huge audiences. And I knew that was just basically a Patreon for them but on a huge, large, large, large scale, you know, they're not making stuff for individual people. So I have already capped flight circle. I have a number in my head and we're quickly approaching that, which is unbelievable. The amount of support I've gotten in the last 36 hours is insane. Um, but it's, I wanted that one-on-one experience to, I'm so tired of going through DMS and missing people who really need serious help who don't have generational pilots in their family, who don't have any sort of people that they can reach out to and get help with what flight schools they need to go to. How can I get into aviation in general? Do I need to go to college? Stuff like that. Um, That's what Flight Circle is all about. And in the last 36 hours, I've talked to every single subscriber already. I've had some FaceTime calls, uh, DMing them every single day. Um, it, it's, it's a blast. And I just love the connection, the one-on-one experience that I get with those people. What's your, what's your end goal for it? Obviously you say you have a cap. Uh, I'm guessing eventually that cap will turn into another cap and you'll keep building and growing on it. Uh, what's kind of your end goal here? What, uh, what would you like to see most? Would you be more happy if you could help a small amount of people for the rest of however long this goes on for the rest of your life? Or would you like to see it grow into many other things and keep fostering this and building your brand even bigger? So I have a cap right now because I think that's, I never want to lose the one-on-one experience. The flight circle is not there for the money. In fact, I'm I'm probably going to lose money monthly, basically, with my my time that I'm putting and effort that I'm putting in, and then paying for the website, paying for all this stuff. Um, but I don't want it to grow too big at all because the second I lose that one-on-one experience where you can DM me at any point in time or we can Facetime call, um, 
then it's it's just turned into another fly with Garrett page. And that's what I don't want to happen. So I definitely want to keep it small and I want to keep that one-on-one experience. So you've got Flight Circle, the website, which is going to have a lot of behind the scenes interviews, a lot of behind the scenes vlogs, and a lot of like aviation content interviews with one-on-one people. And then you have, once you get onto Flight Circle subscription website, you'll gain access to the Flight Circle private Instagram, which is the real personal, where you can actually talk to me one-on-one, where you can DM me, where we can have FaceTime calls. And that's where all the the giveaways are going to happen. So uh, like this month, we're already, the first month, we're doing a $200 Flight Apparel gift card. Next month, I'm in talks with Bose right now to do a Pro Flight Series 2 headset giveaway, which I'm really excited about. Um so yeah, I'm just really excited about the community we're already developing and then the network that comes behind it. You know, once you're in the Flight Circle Instagram, you can check out the other followers and DM them and reach out to them because we're all here for the same reason of community. I think that's important is to make this more, I'm not trying to tell you what I think is important, what you're doing, but to make it more of a community thing, because obviously you can only do so much for for so many people, like what you can offer someone isn't as much as what maybe 500 people in this community can offer. Uh, I mean, you have connections, you have the ability to offer a lot, but when you can bring in the, the, the general public and you can create a small community, you know, that extends the reach to an incredible amount where you can help. It's like um, creating like your mini Embry Riddle or something like that, where you can create this alumni, uh, you can create just these connections and the ability to give back and help is just, is, is crucial. And every job I've ever had is based on someone that I knew. It's based from Ohio State, someone I knew at Ohio State Aviation or someone that I knew through football at Ohio State. Uh, and every job has just been fostered through that. And if you can help do that through Flight Circle, then it's definitely worth it. I mean, this investment, I'm not trying to like give you a huge promo here. I just really think it's important to invest in your career and and getting people on your side and having a community can really help that. And you can create mentors through that. Yeah. I think the community thing, that's what I keep going back to yesterday, which was the first full day. This, this, uh, I won't say his name, but he reached out to me and he was like, I guess he struggled a lot in school of getting friends and stuff like that. And we already have, you know, this pretty cool community in just 36 hours. And he was like, dude, this is the coolest thing ever. I'm now friends with someone in Portugal. I've got a friend in Canada now because they followed each other and they're talking about the same things within Flight Circle. And he was so stoked that he was like, dude, I know so I just ran up and told my mom that I know someone in Portugal and I know someone in Canada now. And we're talking about flight school. Like he's in flight school in Portugal and I'm in flight school in Texas right now. And this is insane. I just like, that's what I made it for is not just so you can have that one-on-one experience with me, but with each other. Yeah. I love it, man. That's cool. I mean, it, it, for someone looking at this from the outside and not having the chance to hear you kind of explain what you're doing, it's easy to cast judgment. It's easy to see someone going after a cash grab, you know, like I'm not saying that was my thought process on this, but I could see people thinking that when they see people with followings trying to take advantage or what they think is taking advantage of people. And they only see that because some of the bigger people have done that. Um, I mean, there's plenty of examples of people just going after the money and really screwing over the community, but hearing how much of a community you want to build. Uh, I, I have more respect and I do respect what you're doing, man. I think that's, uh, that's really cool. And I really hope it does well for you. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. I'm really excited yeah. for what's to come with it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're pretty much wrapped up. I have one more section for you. It'll be a rapid. F- Actually, I have, 
Yeah, I'll, I'll include it in the rapid fire section. So I have one question at the end and then this rapid fire question. It's just aviation in general, whatever comes on my head, I'm just going to ask uh, and we'll kind of go from there. Sound good? Let's do it. All right. What's your favorite airplane ever in the whole world that has ever been made? A350. Ugliest airplane ever made. Shorts. Yeah. They're terrible. It's a a school box. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. I've talked to people flying those in the Caribbean. I'm like, why? (laughs) Like, stop. (laughs) Yeah. Why? (laughs) Um, All right. Let's see. What's your favorite business jet that's ever been made? Oh, man. Probably the 650. If you could do, if you could fly for one company other than where you are right now, what would it be? Uh, American. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anything other than the airlines, I should say. So like you could fly float planes, uh, in the islands or anything like that. Uh, What other type of aviation uh, job would you do? Yeah. Liquidate everything I own, go buy a really cool place down like St. Lucia and just fly like, uh, twin otters, you know, island hopping or, or even skydive pilot. That was just a dream of mine. Who's your biggest mentor in aviation? Oh, my father. One person you'd like to meet most in the history of aviation that could have passed on or they could still be alive. Oh, this is so tough. Um, Oh man. Um, let's see. This is a very rapid fire. Is it? We can, we can check back if you want. I got some other ones. Yeah. Let's, let's check back to it. Let's favorite airport you've it. ever landed at. Oh, favorite airport I've ever landed at. I would say, I would say D- DCA. DCA because of the, the experience. Yeah. I've never landed there before, but it'd definitely be kind of a, a heart pumping moment. Like don't go to P56. Don't go into P56. Yeah. It's right there. It's right there. What's your least favorite airport ever? Watertown, hands down. <laughs> that just sounds like a terrible place. I think I've had yeah, an overnight there before, so it's not it's not the best. Miserable. Yeah. Um, you are connecting in an airport. We'll use Charlotte because we're both from Charlotte and Charlotte's the best, but you're connecting in Charlotte. You are starving. You have 30 minutes to go get food. What's your go-to food? You didn't prepare any food. You, didn't, you have to go buy food. What are you getting? Chick-fil-A. Smart. I love it. Uh, let's see you, would you rather fly one very, very long leg? Like you're on the third. No, that's a bad example. You're on in your plane currently right now. Would you rather fly one very, very long leg? Like as far as you could go, or would you rather do five legs in my plane? Five yeah. legs, five but legs. In, in a wide body and one leg. I was going to say a 350, but I was like, that's not fair. I would choose a 350 any day. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. What's a dream plane for you to buy? To buy a Cirrus SR22 for sure. What what is one post that you've done on Instagram where you either regret it or you immediately deleted it and you're just like, no, I'm never again. Um, probably some stupid shirtless picture I posted <laughs> that I thought looked cool, and then I was like, oh, I, I really should get rid of this. Uh, what's kind of your best moment from having your Instagram page? What's been the, the coolest thing about it? The first person I ever ran into in Cleveland airport, uh, that was like, dude, I love everything you do. I, I, yeah, I've been following you forever. And yeah, it's really cool to meet you in person. What's been the worst thing of having this page? Uh, the negative publicity, the you know, fake accounts, people scamming each other with fake accounts, stuff like that. Yeah. That sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. <it's> miserable. <laughs> well, is it worth it? Uh, yeah, because of the, 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 the pros far away, 
outweigh the cons. All right, cool. Um, let's see a favorite aviation book that you use to study or just that you read. <laughs> um, I'm just going to be the worst person in the world right now and say the AIM because there's <laughs> just so much knowledge in there. You, yeah. I mean, yeah, the aim, the aim. What's, what's one thing that people be shocked to learn about you right now? Like that you, that they don't know about, it could be like a hidden talent. It could be something like a phobia, secret phobia you have. What's one thing that people be shocked to learn about you? Uh, fear of heights. All right. There's surprisingly a lot more pilots than I ever thought that have a fear of heights, but I could see it. I don't want to be on top of like a roller coaster. So I get that. I went skydiving in Dubai two years ago and it was the worst experience. The best and worst experience all in one. Jumping out of that airplane, the initial was, I thought I was going in a cardiac arrest. <laughs> one of my followers on Patreon, one of my supporters, he skydives. So his name's Stu. So Stu's listening. It's probably laughing. I told him there's no way he's going to get me in it. I would literally cry at the top of the airplane before I went out. It's like, you would have to punch me in the face and knock me out to get me out of that airplane. <laughs> there's no way I'm jumping out of an airplane. It's like, I will not go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, scary. So funny. Uh, let's see. What else we got? What else we got? Um, I think those are about it. Those are good. I kind of didn't read the list, try to come up with what I could ask, but Garrett, man, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Take two, as everyone has heard by now. This is the second one we've done. So uh, it's always great having you on, man. I look forward to seeing what you can do with your career. I look forward to seeing you use um, what you have for good and, and helping out aviation. I think aviation, especially the media world in aviation and kind of the companies are in a very interesting spot where there's this new kind of social media influence that's coming in. I think it's going to be very interesting to see if we, maybe like me, you, Angle of Attack, learn the finer points, other kind of companies can enter into this mix and, and not really combat sporties or anything like that, but kind of be in the same picture with them and see what we can do and, and how we can just make aviation better for everyone, make more people be pilots and everything like that. So I look forward to seeing what you can do, man. I look forward to, to helping out in any way, collabs or whatever you want to do. So, uh, I mean, more power to you, man, and good luck. Thanks, man. Yeah, super, super stoked to be here. I think you you kind of nailed it right there. Collaborations between us, um, you know, I, for anyone that's still listening through me, uh, come come check out my YouTube. I really want to get you in the Bonanza. I want to <laughs> I want to make a video of me and you in the Bonanza, maybe doing some landing challenges or something like that. I think um, that'd be really cool. I'm going to go rent yeah, a Bonanza right now in Chicago so I can come prepared. <laughs> the only cool. problem is it's like three degrees outside and I'm not trying to leave my house right now. So <laughs> hey, Charlotte sounds pretty good yeah. right now. Doesn't Charlotte it? sounds great. I saw you complain about the weather in Charlotte the other day and I just wanted to, to send you a picture uh, of the 18 inches of snow and it was negative like 20 yesterday. So I was yeah, like, that sounds <laughs> miserable. That yeah. Sounds don't, terrible. don't, don't come and visit until it's summertime for sure. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, cool, man. Like I said, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, here's the cross on our fingers that this one is going to be worth listening to and not have a bad God, I hope so. <laughs> if right, not, we'll just we'll have to do it in person. All right, man. We'll see you. Yeah, man. Later. AV Nation, that is a wrap of episode 157 with Fly with Garrett. If you enjoyed today's episode, please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pilot to pilot. As I said, this podcast in video format is available for the $5 and up level over on Patreon, as well as it has posted my engine failure story, which I had an engine failure in a Cessna 206. Uh, I posted it on the anniversary. The anniversary was February 11th. I believe it was either 2014, 2015. I try to block that out of my mind as much as possible. 
But the full story is there. And if you have any questions, there's going to be an Ask Me Anything and some cool stuff over on Patreon. So check it out. Aviation Nation, I hope you guys are doing great, staying safe. And as always, happy flying.